0: This is the Personal Finance Show. Welcome to episode 14 of the Personal Finance Show. I am your host, Beau Humphreys. Are you one of the lucky ones who has always had a clear picture of what you wanted to do with your life? There are many different names for this part of our life. Job, career, work, what we do for a living, whatever you call it, it's the thing or things that we do to make money. The ideal situation is that the thing we do every day to make money is also something we enjoy and that aligns with our core values. A core value is something that is important to you. For example, one of my top 10 core values is helping others. So if I'm doing work and the end result of that work doesn't help others in some way, I won't be happy doing that work. You might have heard someone say, what would you do with your life if money wasn't important? When you're starting out in the working world, you don't generally have that luxury, so you might take the job that pays you well enough for the skills you have at that moment in time. But most of the time, you don't stay in that job for the rest of your life. Not anymore, anyhow. You might move up in a company or learn more about what you're good at, and eventually you might find out that you want to do something completely different. Some people think that when we change jobs or follow our passions, we're being selfish. But to quote Esther Perel, it's not vanity, it's sheer survival of the soul. If you're doing something every day and that something doesn't feel quite right, it's very important to listen to that feeling. It doesn't mean that you've been doing the wrong thing for the past 10 years. It just means that over that time, you've learned more about yourself and what it is you truly want. I believe that this is something that can only come from experience. Mike Wickware started out having no idea what he wanted to do with his life, and now he is chief marketing officer of a new company called Planswell. Along the way, Mike had to make hard decisions about what was right for him and really think about what he wanted to do with his life. There will always be people that tell you that you have to stay on a certain path because of safety and security, or the fact that you spent money on a degree and you shouldn't waste it. Most of the time these people are well-intentioned and they're just looking out for you. They don't want you to get into trouble. But the key thing to remember is that these people aren't the ones living your life. You have to do what's right for you, even if people don't understand. Even if you end up somewhere you could have never predicted. This is Mike's you know, story. I'm glad that we decided to start with laughing, Mike, because uh, you know, laughing is always good, right? I mean, everyone's yeah. now everyone's in a good mood now.
1: Everyone's in a good mood. I grew up reading Reader's Digest. We had about a thousand copies of Reader's <laughs> Digest around my house as a young boy, and one of the features was called "Laughter is the Best Medicine."
0: Yes, I think I remember that. It was like a
1: page of jokes, just a little co- dad. Nowadays, they call them dad jokes. Yes. You can see little uh, smilers. That I, just <laughs> I, uh,
0: when I, I use dad jokes and, and my wife is, it just rolls her eyes. It's, yeah. it's a, that's the standard response to a dad yeah. joke, right?
1: Well, you just have to explain to her, I got my sense of humor from Reader's Digest in the early 1980s. <laughs> and thus <laughs> the dust I, I dad jokes. I <laughs> when you think about
0: it. So I'm here with Mike Wickware, and uh, we're at uh, Planswell because Mike works for Planswell now. The, the chief marketing officer, is that Correct. Correct. Um, just before we get into talking about you, what does a chief marketing officer do exactly? For someone, I mean, obviously, there's some marketing involved.
1: There is some marketing involved, but one, one of the things that's interesting about doing this at a company like Planswell, where you, you are, um, you're building a technology product, is that it's not just marketing the way you think about it. Um, advertising, let's say, and, and branding and making an and ad or making sure there's something interesting written on, on the blog, like that's definitely all part of it. Another part of it is, is actually, well, what does the word marketing even imply? You're bringing something to the market and that something in the case of plans well is, is like software and an experience that makes a financial plan. So it's really designing that product as well and that whole interaction. Um, such that the market, in our case, the people of Canada, think, yeah, this is something cool that I want to use. And um, when it's a digital product, you know, you might think marketing is maybe ends at a website, but it really continues well past the website. The website, hopefully, is the place that you might go to learn about plans well and decide that, you know, I'm interested in this. And from there, you flow into using a piece of software and going through an experience and, well, that's all part of it as well.
0: So you're involved in the whole thing. You're, you're, you're So the, the we're using the term marketing as, as bringing to market right. and making something marketable. Right. Which no, we don't really use it. It's, it's synonymous with advertising lately.
1: Correct. And ultimately, your goal is to satisfy the marketplace. My goal is to find the combination of things, and that includes creative pictures and also the mechanics of financial planning that at the end of the day, thousands or hopefully millions of Canadians in this marketplace find that it's good for them.
0: So is this, is this a, <laughs> a, a huge burden on your responsibility or privilege? How would you, how would you, like if everyone yeah. in Canada adopts this, <laughs> you would feel what? Uh, joy. Joy. Because Absolute joy. This is, it's basically you.
1: It's a huge validation. Well, I guess this could turn into a, like a, some type of, is this Freudian or something? It's, it's <laughs> validation my goal. of me as a person as much as it is of this idea of a business, sure. And the thing, I mean, about this business in particular, and I, I imagine we'll talk about some of my previous experiences, is in this case, I feel like we are creating a social good. I believe that if... Uh, we do it properly, the market will accept it because it actually improves their lives. So if a million people used plans well, I I would feel like I made a measurable improvement in a million people's lives. And that, not to sound overly grandiose, but that would be an amazing life accomplishment. That would be a great validation. And I, I tend to believe in marketplaces, and I think it would be hard to impact that many people if it wasn't because it was making their lives in some way better.
0: I think that's a that's a great place to start for for a product, right? Make make someone's life better, or focus on improving the the, the or fixing the problem that they have, or yeah. Uh, and, and then you know everything kind of comes from that, right? Yes. As opposed to starting with I really want to make a lot of money, and coming up with a product to do that, right? You know, if you start yeah. with the product or the goal first, and and it's and it's a a kind or a, a universally accepted goal, such as helping, yeah. that's, that's a really good place to start. And we'll talk about plans well more later, yeah. in terms of exactly what it is for those who don't know. But I wanna go back to early Mike Wickware. Um, so it's, it's, we're recording this in Financial Literacy Month in November in 2017, but we, uh, it may not error during that time, but that doesn't mean we can't talk about financial literacy. Mm-hmm. I want to know about your history of personal finance in work, but also before we, you talk about your work, what, uh, what was the first thing that you learned or who taught you about personal finance, uh, your own personal finances?
1: Mm-hmm. It was very much a journey of self-discovery for me. I yeah. had to figure out, pretty much I got my mom when I was eight or nine years old to finally admit that, okay, okay, Santa Claus is not real. And there was, a, it was a feeling of tremendous disappointment. I wasn't Even,
0: expecting it to start this way, but please, <laughs> please go on.
1: It's like, okay, that was when I became a man.
0: <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> now hmm. i got to take care of my finances. Yeah,
1: the mythology of my childhood just officially ended. I got my mom to admit this. So now it's like, oh man, I, I'm, I have to find my way in this world. And I didn't have a ton of guidance. I mean, I had... Um, um, my 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 mom remarried when I was fairly young, and I had an example in in my stepfather of like hard work, okay, and like thrift and like economy and not trying to be um conspicuous with your consumption, like a being a modest, hardworking person. so I had that as a base my 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 biological dad was kind of and maybe a bit like me, kind of a dreamer, kind of a big ideas guy. He went after some big ideas in his life, so I think I had a good mix of like you can dream big and achieve things that seem a little bit outside of the ordinary bounds. As long as um, you have a,
0: a solid base. At the sometime.
1: same time, that's it. You've got to okay. work hard and you've got to be realistic and you've got to be willing to like, roll up your sleeves and show great. So I had a nice basis in that. But really the way I got um, involved in the financial industry is I was about 18 years old and um, I was supposed to be in school. Uh, and or at least working at a job when I was kind of doing neither I was like a wayward youth okay uh, hard-working stepdad was like massively not a fan of these life choices no. I was making it's like you need to be doing something you need to be so hard work right if you're not in school then you're paying me rent like you need to be okay. showing productive results <laughs> in life and it had been going on for a while a year or two you know not a good situation at home and um, one of my friends had an older brother who worked at um, a mutual fund company. So, just to set the, the timeline here, this is the early '90s, and he said, "You know, I know uh, I know a lady who needs some help. She's looking to hire somebody. Um, I could recommend you." But, you know, you better not make a fool of me. Like, you better show up and (laughs) take it seriously. You're at 18. I'm 18 years old. And you're
0: going to go maybe sell mutual funds.
1: Well, I'm just going to go go to meet some lady that had a job. I had no understanding. What's a mutual fund? I'm just like, yeah, the word mutual fund may not have even been used at this point in the conversation. Just some lady who's hiring somebody. So I said, okay, I'll I'll check it out. And uh, I drove to this office building and went up to the, you know, eighth floor, I think it was, and met this lady. Her name was Florence Einhorn. Okay. And she's sitting in this windowless office in the back of some <laughs> office place you know, that I'd never seen anything like before. And she, she said to me, she asked me some questions about myself, and she used this word that I thought was a nice compliment that I'd never probably even heard before. She said, You seem very astute. <laughs> so like, Thank you very much, Flora. Uh, Mrs. Leinhorn. She said, You know, I think you could do this job. Um, what, can you start like right now? Can you just stay right now and start working <laughs> Get and I work. said, oh, my parents will be really happy. Okay, sure. You know, we arranged so many dollars per hour and I started doing um, essentially data entry. I was I had this massive stack of uh, slips of paper that each of them said a person's name and an account number and some dollar amount and some number of units that they had bought or sold. And my job was to just like machine like go through this stack of paper and do data entry.
0: you were a computer.
1: I was a computer, a pre-computer, computer almost. You know, computer assistant. I sat there doing this for you know a little while, days or a couple of weeks, and I was looking around and seeing all these guys with like nice looking suits. And okay. I noticed some BMWs in the parking lot. And I kind of got friendly with one of the guys. His name was Pierre. And I, one day I said, "Hey, Pierre, hey, uh, what what do we do here? <laughs> what what business are we in exactly? What are, <laughs> what is, what are these numbers? What are doing? these slips of paper like? What is this actually all about?" <laughs> wasn't all that well explained to me. He's like, well, we're financial advisors. We, yeah, we, we, um, we sell people mutual funds. They, they, the, all these people have their money at the bank and they're earning some token amount of interest. And we, we show them that if they come and buy mutual funds here, they'll earn like, much higher returns. And um, I used to sell uh, photocopiers, he said. <laughs> and I wasn't making anywhere near the money I make now and selling mutual is, funds. better. Fees are better, I'm this, sure. This is a much better business. And I said, okay, well... I didn't, you know, I was kind of directionless, and I thought, well, I've stumbled into something that might be a great career for me, where I get to wear a suit and drive a BMW, so, okay, I'll start to dig into this. And then I I did, through correspondence, my mutual fund license course. I did my um, Canadian securities course, which you need to trade uh, stocks and bonds. I enrolled in the uh, chartered financial planner program. I started doing courses for the Certified Investment Manager designation. I think at the time I thought, well, I'm like 18 or 19. I'm going to need a few diplomas on my wall to make this seem get make this seem plausible. Yeah, you know? sure.
0: A little bit green, right? Yeah,
1: I was a little bit green. So um, I went down that path, and then um, some. You know, maybe a year after a year of data entry, I landed a job as an assistant to a financial advisor at Midland Wallen which was one of the big stock wow, that firms. name
0: I haven't heard that name in a while is it still around?
1: Midland Wallen was absorbed by Merrill Lynch
0: Yes was it uh, wait was it during a financial crisis of some
1: kind um, it was probably pre-financial crisis, early 2000s okay, I want to yeah, say that. Yeah, wow. probably around the Enron. I'm probably era. thinking of
0: old commercials uh, on the radio from the '90s. Uh oh, that's possible. Yeah, possibly, or just seeing a sign yeah. as I drove uh, yeah. through downtown uh, uh, Ontario.
1: The funny thing is, and this was almost like a foreshadowing of where where things would go, is that they had this logo that was a blue circle, and the tagline was "Blue Chip Thinking." Blue Chip Thinking. Blue of Chip course. Thinking. And oh. I thought,
0: "Ooh, I like that." Yeah, it was good. <laughs> it was really good. And did uh, Merrill Lynch absorb that logo? Uh, that's uh, slogan as well.
1: I think they 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 they, they 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 took over Midland Wallman, and the name and,
0: and blue chip thinking went away. That's still like that. That totally brings back memories for me. Blue chip thinking. <laughs> blue chip thinking. And I wasn't even in the financial industry or anything around that time. Um, so you went to work for Midland Wallman. I did. And how long were you there for?
1: for about a year i worked supporting two financial advisors and uh this was uh these guys were not quite like the mutual fund salespeople. they were more like stockbrokers. brokers oh, really? they, they were more involved in making stock trades and, and stock rep- and, and 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 uh would rely a lot more on um the analyst research and i, I would i would uh, help these guys but i'd also have like lots of time to read tons of analyst research reports and I was just absor- absorbing all this information about just money and markets one of the advisors I worked with was uh, a gold bug you know there was this cult of guys who um, gold was you know three or four hundred dollars an ounce and they were just convinced it was going to go back to a thousand dollars and they were up like as
0: much as they could yeah and they'
1: were like these fringe guys everyone thought they were crazy but as you know gold broke through two thousand dollars an ounce eventually the trouble is wow. it took it took many years but so I just started learning all, all about this and just learning about everything about it. And, and, and um, I think another, um, so I had this idea I was going to become like them. I mean, I was on a path to become an advisor myself was, was the idea. But I, I remember very well this one day when I thought to myself, there's this whole world of money I knew nothing about. To my As far as I could tell, no one else in my life knew anything about it. And I was trying to figure out who I was going to be, what kind of man I'd be, what kind of career I'd have. And I thought to myself, like, I don't know if this job exists, but I feel like I could, I'd could, i be good at being a professional explainer. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, I, I like this subject matter, and I get it. And that's I feel like I I'm, I'm pretty good at explaining it. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's kindred, you, you kindred, kindred spirits. You're, you're on the
0: ground floor of my, of my current
1: job. <laughs> yeah. It took a long time before I figured out a way to really do that, but...
0: So, how, yeah, how did you do that? What was the explainer in your mind? Or what was the, did you make it into reality?
1: I didn't know at that time what that, what that meant. I did, I did used to imagine, okay, I'm going to start getting clients. And I would actually imagine scenarios where, how I, when I sat down with them, I would explain concepts. Like, I yeah. guess I thought I would do it in the context of being a financial advisor. Yeah,
0: but, but a better, like, really focus on the explaining part and more, like, teaching maybe.
1: Do the explaining really well. Is yeah, what, yeah I, I, that's what I was into. I feel like Although, it's always needed. It's always needed. Yeah. Um, so I did get my chance. I I, I said to the, so these advisors that I worked with said to me one day, they were, we're we're leaving, we're leaving Midland Wallen. We're going a a group of us, about half a dozen of us. We're going to start our own little scrappy brokerage firm up the street. Would you like to come with us and, and do this? And, um, I said, yes. And, um, Uh, and uh, so we did. We started this little shop called Alta Securities, and I asked the guys, can I start taking on my own clients? You know, I've done all my studying. I'm now a CIM, a certified investment manager. I have my licensing and all that kind of stuff. Could I start bringing in some accounts? And I thought I was asking to be given some great privilege, but it's like, no, that's the name of this business. By all means, if you can bring in some accounts, bring (laughs) in some accounts. This this is how we make our living. Um, But in some ways, that's kind of what, started to dawn on me and kind of started to spoil the career path, I I kind of realized increasingly that um, the most successful financial advisors probably have some gifts when it comes to being good communicators and they probably do some explaining, for sure they do, I mean it's part of what they have to do. But really you're a commissioned salesperson Mm -hmm. (laughs) and you better be spending your time doing sales you know in fact the whole name of the game started to become more and more as the industry kind of became more mature and advanced was to find ways to do to spend as little time as possible with your clients because that's not necessarily time that's profitable not, not as little time as possible you need to maintain relationships but it's about efficiency
0: but once the client buys whatever fund or funds that you're selling it's just a set-it-and-forget-it situation. You're kind of done. You don't really have to convince them of anything yeah, else. Yeah, you're kind of on autopilot. And you maybe at the time got your fees up front, or they were built into a contract of some kind? mix of both. Yeah, yeah. so uh, like maybe deferred sales charges. Well, that's something?
1: fine. that's right. Somebody gives you money, and you basically make 5% right away. So I used to always think to myself, i just find a client with $100,000, and I'll have 5000 in my pocket, and I'll have another um, maybe half a so, um, a year and for, who, who forever. Who would pay that
0: to you? Who would pay the 5000 or How would you get it?
1: Well, you know, the funny thing is, I even thought, well, the mutual fund company is who's giving me the money.
0: That's what makes the most sense.
1: Right? But, well, who's giving the mutual fund the money? Yeah. <laughs> oh, my clients. <laughs> okay. Uh, there's this, there, you may have heard this. Uh, somebody used this analogy in a commencement speech, and I, I just love it because I think it's very applicable to the financial industry, circa you know, 1998. Okay, this is me sitting there as an advisor, realizing this is a commission sales job, and but I didn't think the fees were exorbitant. And the analogy that this, this little story maybe you've heard is two two young fish are swimming along one morning, and they pass an older fish going the other direction, and the older fish says water's great this morning, eh boys? And, and, and the two fish keep swimming for, you know, they kind of nod and keep swimming and then one looks at the other and goes, what the hell's water? <laughs> it's like, you're not aware of the yeah. very basic context necessarily, you, you don't know you're in the matrix when you're in it. They're just I, in it. We didn't know these fees were appropriate or inappropriate, I mean, compared to just, what?
0: There was nobody talking <laughs> about it quite yet, I guess. Right. Nobody, there wasn't the press that there is now and of course, the internet and all, right. all of that, or the, the prevalence of internet.
1: Yeah, and the very business model itself. I mean, it's like, okay, if I'm going to spend a month grinding it out, trying to find somebody with $100,000 to invest with me, I should get $5,000. Sure.
0: and there's no alternative <laughs> at, at the time. There was no alternative. There was just mutual funds or your bank account or stocks. If you want to buy, you could have your own brokerage account and, yep. and try the stock market yourself, try to build your fund better than... The fund managers. Correct. These were the options out there. And things like ETFs and uh, online investing, robo-advisors, you know, uh, weren't there. They just didn't exist. They did not. And so, but you, it was was entering your mind that this, something is off about this. Is so, that what you were
1: thinking? I, I was thinking, um, I have to be honest, I, at that time I didn't think the industry had a problem. I just thought that it turned out I probably wasn't cut out to be a financial advisor. I, I, uh, I wasn't getting to do... A lot of my marketing successes as an advisor were by doing some good explaining. I did mm. take a few investments that I had a point of view on and produced some nice materials about it and, and shared them with people. And like I enjoyed that part of it. But realizing that I had this imperative to... Um, generate commissions.
0: You want it to be creative. Day in
1: and day out, month in and month, month out. I'm like, this is, yeah, this is not going to be you, like the right Sales way.
0: is a part of every job, but, Correct. but you didn't want it to be your primary. Correct. You wanted to be able to create and explain. I like the, yeah. I like the focus on, I just want <laughs> to explain things. Yeah, <laughs> it really <laughs> was Somebody it. Somebody just let me explain already.
1: Yeah. So what do I do? I, I, I go, um, uh, well, a little side note. I, I was also uh, always involved in music, and that was a great creative outlet for me. And um, I went and sat with my, my boss in this job, and he saw the look on my face, and I guess maybe the writing was on the wall. He said, like, I, I don't think you're, I, I get that you are, I think he thought I was choosing between pursuing music, that's maybe not the soundest career decision in the world, and being a financial advisor or whatever. He basically said, go pursue your muse. I can, I see you don't want to be a financial advisor. Hmm. I said, yeah, that's kind of where this conversation was going to go. I, I made some arrangements for some of the clients that I did have to you know, be helped by someone else. And I just, I, I, I left and I... So you got out. I, you I got, got out. out
0: completely at the time.
1: I did. I actually took a job working in the client service department of a mutual fund company because they'd hire me and I just needed some way to pay the bills. while I regathered, like I reconsidered, okay, what am I, what am yeah, I going what, to do? Where's my direction? Where's my direction? So back to being directionless. And I was sitting in my cubicle in this call center between calls, just a couple hundred employees, decent sized company, I'm just flipping through the company directory one afternoon and I see this name, Carol Kurtz, copywriter. Mm. You know, "Hmm, that's interesting, what's a copywriter do? And I'm not sure how I got the answer to that, but somehow I figured out it had to do actually with writing. And I thought, oh, well, what's that even mean? So I called her extension, I said, Carol, this is Michael from the client service department. You don't know who I am, but would you... What
0: do you do? Can we go... For, yeah, what do you do? Like, can we have
1: lunch and you can tell me what a copywriter is? Okay. <laughs> she said, oh, sure, yeah, I'd be happy to. So she told me, yeah, I, I explain things all day. Like, that, you're kidding. That is what you do. I, I write brochures and websites and speeches and ads and... Um, like, I just communicated. All of the things that,
0: <laughs> that people use to explain. Yeah,
1: I was ecstatic. I, I said, oh man, I, I can't believe this. This is too good to be true. Like, I could <laughs> I, I could do this job, and it would be like the perfect job for me. That's um, awesome. I don't know. I don't know. You might be the only person who's looked in a
0: directory, saw a copywriter, and said, yes, <laughs> I know that I need this. I know that I want this. Well, that was, so, that's incredible. So, you. Started doing
1: that, so I, I went to the marketing department and I said, could I volunteer to do some type of a writing assignment to show you that I am good at explaining this sure, stuff? Yeah. And they said, yep, sure, uh, sure. We need this brochure about um, RESPs, Registered Education Savings okay. Plans. We need a pamphlet about this that explains what these things are to people. And I said, I'm I'm on the case. And you need I,
0: to do all the desktop publishing stuff <clears> too. No, that? no, no, Just, they just people, the they had, so they had people to do that. PPP just people? just the writing. Just okay. the writing. Although okay. you'd
1: work with the designer and think, you know, maybe the chart could be like this, and we could show people. That uh, the, yeah. gr- the government grants will add this much to the pie chart. So sure, there was some visu- context, visual yeah. thinking involved as well. And I did it, and they said, "Oh, this is this is great," you know. And, and um, I don't remember exactly how the timing worked, but it just so happened. Luck is a big factor in life, uh, mm-hmm. both. You probably know. And somebody, um, uh, there was a maternity leave in the marketing department of okay. one of the other copywriters. There were like three, and um, they offered me to fill in. And then um, that was it. I was, you know, a professional explainer professional in, the, fina- in explainer, the financial industry. finally made it.
0: <laughs> and yeah. what, uh, what about the music, just to go back to that? What were you doing? Uh, were you performing on the side or how did yeah, the music Yeah, I work?
1: was actually during the call center period before I became, and, and, and beyond. Uh, yeah, I took, a little, I took a little leave actually to go on a little tour. Nice. Uh, in the US. Is this a, uh, a
0: band that we would know or well, w- would have known at the time or we,
1: we had we were little, we had a hit This known
0: Aerosmith uh, band uh. The, the,
1: the band was called heater h-e-a-t-e-r, H-E-A-T-E-R. Okay. in the summer of 2000 or 2001 we, we were on college radio in Canada a lot. But it was nice. in the summertime, which is kind of funny because school was kind of out. I was,
0: I was in college
1: at we, that time. Yeah, uh, that's great. Yeah, cool. We, yeah, it was, oh man, it was fun. We, we, we drove around. To, I remember going to Waterloo and some of the various college radio stations and did little in-studio, little acoustic sessions. It would have been uh, funny
0: if I actually maybe saw you at a, possible. at a campus bar or something. And I did not It's even possible.
1: <laughs> or I looked and I said, heater? What is, what's, yeah, this? what's right? this? What's this? What's this? I mean, it's music's always. I've always, even without a band, um, been writing and recording music at home. It's just a, you know, long-term uh, tick of mine. But well,
0: creativity, right? I yeah. Mean, you know, there's there's parts of it. I never thought of myself as a writer, or you know, because I was a musician first, or a piano player. Right. But, th- but then I figured out how to play and sing at the same time. Like I can I can sing and play the piano together. It just <laughs> these things just change. You you. you you can't just stop at one, you gotta explore the other. I can tell you I can't draw, that's the, the <laughs> one thing that I can't do, uh, but turns out I can write. I can write, I can write ab- when it's something that you uh, are passionate about. And because and, yes. and, you could have been an explainer for other things, but, but you, yeah. you picked, you, you decided to stay with mutual funds just because that's the knowledge base that you had or was there other reasons, like or financial stuff?
1: That's a, a really good question this is like a like water type scenario for me because I have yeah. wondered before. Yeah. Like, why has my life been anchored around money, personal finance stuff?
0: Yeah. Could it have been like you just got into well, farming and now
1: you're writing about carrots instead? Yeah, like, it's possible. Like, had I not met Florence Einhorn on that day, I yeah. might know absolutely nothing about any of this right now. <laughs> it is
0: a little fascinating. And I don't know what think. would have
1: happened in that scenario. I, re- I really don't.
0: Because personally, I always liked money. I was always into fascinated by money and numbers, right? So it was just inevitable that I would get into something Thing to do with that not always explaining but just uh, just problem-solving was always right. my thing so I I, 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 kn- I kind of knew where I was I didn't know exactly where but I knew and I think in your situation you were kind of directionless and I mean it, you could have got to that mutual fund company at the beginning and said data entry this is terrible I'm gonna get on a bus and go to Vancouver, yeah. or whatever. You could have easily done that, but you stuck with it for some reason. So there must be some attraction to the numbers.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, I do. I do like. I, how can I describe what it is I like about it? I'm not too sure. I mean,
0: well, we know you like the explaining. Yeah,
1: but and there's, but, little, and there's, there's, there's little, there's little, there's little eureka moments in it. Sure, it's, it's really okay. cool okay. when you like if you're looking at stock research reports, it's really cool when you learn about a company that has a product or a business model or a method that you've never heard of before, that's mm. really clever. Someone else who's bringing something to the market that obviously is filling a need and making people happy. And you, you learn about the world, like you See, learn about the world through it. Or, discovery. you know, if there's some little trick you can do to make yourself go from being kind of poor to being kind of rich, or like just like little tricks that can improve your person. like there's there, there are lots of little Easter eggs and nuggets and ideas in it. And maybe I feel there's a need to explain it because it's actually quite unfortunate that people are so not aware of it. Many dimensions of life are full of people who have opinions. Finance, 90% of people don't even really look at it, never mind have opinions about it. And it affects everybody. everybody. <laughs> and yet it affects everybody. Like not
0: everybody has a mutual fund, but everybody has money. Not yeah. everybody's invested or even has a savings account. But it's somewhere yeah they, they get cash it's they got to figure out what to do with it' it's, it's yeah it's one of the I don't know other than the fact that we're all human beings it's one of the few things that we all share in yes. common even even across borders and everything yeah there's got to you know the currency is so old yeah right there has to be a, a way like you know as soon as we left the bartering system and went to a store of value right? right and now now we're all the way to the cryptocurrency we could have a whole Another thing, uh, a whole new podcast about that. But it's like this thing is so common, but it's so complicated at the same time, right? How to how to make my money grow, how to make sure that it's safe, how to make sure that my future is safe. And so you took on the responsibility of trying to explain it in a way that people would understand.
1: That's correct. I, I think one of the things, like if I think about a... Uh, um, formative like kind of moment, in, the, in those early days, uh, one of the most common ways to sell people on the merits of mutual funds would be to show them what happens if they save $200 a month starting when they're 25 and earn some rate of return sure. and you look at the power of compound returns and realize that um, you can s- save up a lot of money <laughs>
0: and it <does> <laughs> and it's not that hard bit. to do. Yeah. So
1: why, isn't 100, why aren't 100% of people doing same this by doing default this. right away?
0: And, and, yeah, like, I mean, you don't even get into the conversation about that if you're paying too many fees, then you're it'll grow by uh, by less. It, it won't be as much as you want uh, for people who aren't doing anything at all. So you're just trying to get people to get into it. And then so how long did you do the copywriting for?
1: So at that, I'm that working company? at this fun, mutual fund company doing the copywriting. Um, 9/11 happened when I was at that job. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And then it was maybe by the following spring of 2002, I had kind of observed a few things that happened at, at the company where um, they wanted to um, step up their explaining and do some do some advertising, do some marketing, and and we brought in a couple of different um, outside ad agencies. And um, so one interesting thing, I, I, I'm not a psychologist, but this left brain, right brain thing, it seems like a lot of creative people, if you're strong on the creative side of your mind, it's almost like you have even, uh, potentially a lower aptitude for this money stuff. Sure. I just observed this in this agency people that try as we might, they just weren't doing all that great a job of understanding the concepts and the subject matter. It also
0: applies to doctors
1: as well. Right, is that true? (laughs) Yes,
0: doctors are, are stereotypically Bad with money, and and it, I think it's more about your mind is obsessed or focused on something else. It's way complex, yeah. and you understand that. Right. Why would you have the why brain power? You? So you're an artist. You can create these awesome things. You can yeah. make music. How, why would you understand right. personal finance? So same applies to, to anything that's well, heavy. You know, anything sure. to profession. Right. Right. So you were noticing that this was you
1: need, they need more explaining they need help getting getting this job. And, and fair, fair play, by the way, it's true. I, I'm an awful surgeon, so it's... it's <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it's, no, it's, and I don't uh, expect you to be a good surgeon. Yeah. So I, I'm like, we were getting pretty frustrated trying to work with these external agencies to... You know, it was sometimes things like understanding from, from a regulatory view point of view what you can and can't say. It was also understanding the mechanics of investments and taxes and how, how they work, and they just weren't doing a great job. So I kind of realized... Um, that this is a bit of a niche like a niche skill like if you can communicate effectively and you understand the subject matter maybe this is like a gap in the in the marketplace maybe yeah. this is something that the, the that the world needs and you're bridging the gap started kind of calling around and talking to a couple other companies in the financial industry and and kind of validating that yeah this is like an, a known problem there's a bit of an explainer crisis, a lack of good explainers mm-hmm. on the subject matter, and, and maybe the whole financial industry was wringing their hands a bit, like, why can't we get people to understand and embrace this more? Why aren't they doing what they should do for their own financial benefit? You know, mm-hmm. everyone wanted to solve this problem, so, and I had a friend in, in sales at the mutual fund company who would say to me, hey, buddy, you got to get out of here, man. You, you know, you've kind of got a good thing. You, yeah. You're good at this thing. You've kind of I had a pretty good reputation around the company. Like, I know you want to go and do something still kind of more, like, independent, more entrepreneurial. So I said to my employer, you know, what if I just continued to do a lot of what I do now, but I did it like on a freelance basis? Sure. And they didn't love the idea, but they but they liked working with me. So they said yes, which was a massive leg up to help me get started and go out and be an independent person. And then I called all the various financial industry people I had met in my several years of working at that point And everyone else I'd ever met and said this is what I'm doing now, I'm going to be a copywriter to the financial industry, I'm going to help companies solve this problem and do marketing and advertising and communicating on this subject matter and um, it started to just go really well. It was it was fantastic in the first um, few years I, I think I had 30 different companies that had hired me for projects of various sizes and that friend of mine who was in sales who encouraged me to leave my job we'd stayed in touch all along and at that point 2000. By 2006, I had 30 clients and I'd been staying in touch over the past five, five years with my friend. And he said, you know, I, I think you know, we talked about, should he come and join me? Could this become like an agency? Could this become like a company? And he could kind of help run the business and be a rainmaker. I could keep focusing on the explaining. And so we did. We partnered up in 2006, named the agency, not that creatively after myself, Wickware <laughs> Communications. <laughs> it does I kind figured, of sound like a software company. Yeah, and no one else has that name. That's for pretty, pretty, like pretty, a, pretty or, much for or sure. Or a candle company. Or a candle company.
0: <laughs> or a can, if there's such a thing as candle software.
1: Right. Or people have said like wicker. Isn't that an insult? Like a basket weaving course. It's kind of like interesting. Professor Wicker. We went all the way there, right? Basket <laughs> weaving 101. Uh, <laughs> um, and so then you had we explained huh? that. Like that it was not that. I had to explain that. We became partners. And kept running with it, and yeah, it was. There were a lot of companies that, that needed help trying to trying to get some of these concepts across, and, and, and uh, we started to hire people and build a bricks and mortar um, company. And so, your partner, did he
0: take over the sales? Pretty much. So I say he was it a he? He yes. Yeah. And because you, th- what's funny is even though you might not have felt cut out for mutual fund sales, you you sell yourself, right? We, I think we're all true. good at selling something we believe in. So you're, you're, you're selling the explaining service. Yeah. And, but even then, that meant you were doing less explaining. Yes. Or less creating of explanations. So yes. bringing in the partner was a good move. Yeah. And a you. subtle
1: thing, a subtle distinction too. I don't know if this is a value to anyone to hear this, but as much as I believed in all the principles of doing the right things with your money, I had a few times as a financial advisor when somebody said to me, well, why, why, is this, why did this happen in the market? Or or why did this mutual fund manager do or not do something? And I thought, well, I don't exactly know the answer to that. And that doesn't give you as much confidence to sell as knowing that what something that you totally own and know, I can Mm. account for myself. I know the work that I do will be good. And if it's not for any reason, I can correct it. I'm I'm in control and I can sell that with a lot of confidence when you're selling i found and selling something that i couldn't totally be accountable for the quality of the product that's it's right it's kind of tough cuz it's like well i don't know yeah I, I think you know the mutual fund didn't do very well i don't know what to say <laughs> like yeah that's a little bit beyond my control
0: well that's a, that's one of the it's, hardest things for financial advisors to explain is it not right. when when something cuz everyone loves to, to promise uh, green pastures in right. in the future but we all know that there's ups and downs in the market and if somebody decides to say join your uh, become one, become a client of yours uh, just before an economic downturn, right? That that it almost be, you become a, a therapist, almost a, a, a psychologist, trying to explain to them this is what happens. This is the timing just yeah. sit through it? Yes. And so you're right. You don't don't have any control over so, but you do have control over the products you create to help people try to sell their own products, right? And that's what you were doing.
1: Yeah, I I viewed my job as, you have to be a little bit agnostic and my job was to understand whether it was an asset manager or an insurance company or a mutual fund company um, or or someone in that space. What do you do, like who are you and what do you do well? What do you want people to understand about what you do? And I became pretty good at helping them put that story across in a way that was sound and relatable and understandable
0: <laughs> because you figured it out about yourself first right it's true who are you well i mean we're all working on who are you right? i mean it's a it's a loaded question but what yeah. do I, what do i do well right? yeah what do i and i think what we're told is you do what you know and what you spend a lot of time learning so you have all of these financial designations and it's not like you're completely removed from it, but you're not doing the stuff that was on the, uh, the securities course, no. right? You're not, you don't, you don't need that. I'm sure it's an asset, especially, especially when you were first trying to get business, people trust that you know what you're talking about and you can translate and explain for them. But you know, how, how, did you ever have a, a situation where you were like, should I just keep doing, doing this because I worked so hard? Should I keep keep like being in the mutual fund biz? Like, do do do, do these letters that I waste my time? Did I waste my time? You ever have uh, any regrets or anything about that? Not not necessarily no. regrets, but just thoughts that you know, or, or maybe everyone's telling you, oh, well, you sh- you uh, you know, like if you get a law degree, you should practice law, right?
1: <laughs> no, no. The only person who almost. Uh I love my brother dearly, but he's the he's the person who seemed the most disappointed that I, was I wasn't so going sad. to continue to be a financial advisor. He thought you were some like wayward eighteen year old loser. Then you became a financial advisor, and the family like a chorus of applause. Yes, yes, he's gonna he's gonna turn out okay. And now you're gonna walk away from that. That's crazy.
0: And and uh, you know why do why do we crave or, or part of us need this approval? <laughs> Right when when uh, you you know deep down that you wanted to do something else you wanted to yeah
1: I knew what I wanted to be on the day that I realized I just want to explain things and I think you're right when you kind of hinted at it earlier it might have been something other than money it could have been I think that's the core thing that yeah like I'm 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 a little bit of a skeptic on the whole. 10,000 hours, anybody can and master an anything expert. camp. It's true. I think talent is a bit, or, or, or not even talent, but just um, um, your your natural disposition, your natural strengths are really important to try to figure out what they are and then figure out where you can best apply them because you'll be more successful probably than trying to do something you're actually not that great at and you'll probably enjoy it more. Even, even in, in music, actually, I love Writing songs and I love recording songs. I make home recordings. That's the thing I really, really love. Um, going out and performing live, I actually didn't love that much, and that's going to be a hindrance if you're trying to become a rock star. That's right.
0: <laughs> but but you you recognize you know and, and uh, you know the band Steely Dan, they were a big fan of just making the music, and they barely wanted to tour. Actually, uh, when they went out, they they wouldn't pay enough uh, to their crew. They, they, they refused to pay more than they, than they felt that they should huh. and no one would go on tour with them. By design? That, but so they, they kind of set it up to, to fail because they really only cared about making these songs because they had them in their head. They just needed to get them out. And when somebody would come in and play for them, say a professional saxophone player, they would tell them exactly how to play the part that is in their head and when they would try to deviate from, it, they would say, "No, it's this way." Is that right? And even wow. someone who might be like an excellent performer or improviser. And so sometimes you just know what it is that you want to do, right? And so you're doing the music, the creating, and and so even if no one ever hears this music, which I'm guessing maybe there's a song or two which nobody's heard, or perhaps just family.
1: Though there are many that have many. never been heard. Sure. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. but
0: but that's not what it is about. It's not about that for you, right? No. What about other other? Creative parts of you. It, did, were you doing anything else during the the Wickwar time? Is it, that your creative outlet? Were you able to?
1: Yeah, music was always the thing. And then this is funny because when you're um, you know a writer and you like uh, it comes up from time to time. Oh, like uh, do you think you'll write a book or uh, mm-hmm. what about a screenplay? And um, I've kind of taken a stab at a uh, screenplay a couple times, really? and I found that it's actually it's extremely difficult. I've actually found that let's say at this point, I could probably say the type of writing I do, I have certainly like some talent for, Screenplays, is uh, not, not, not nearly so much. No, I guess it's, it's a really specific tough. thing, eh? It's a different beast, it's a different thing, um, that it's, yeah, so I, I mean, music comes naturally. Uh, trying to write a screenplay apparently doesn't, even though I thought maybe it would. Well,
0: but, <laughs> but you did uh, write a book for Planswell. Correct. Well,
1: or collaborate. Yeah, I, no, I did write a book for plans. Well, I mean, it's not a book in a novel sense, but it's a it's an introduction to some principles of, um, of financial planning. That was a lot of fun. You, would, like I kind of
0: n- now that I know more about the explaining uh, <laughs> origins of the explainer, it kind of does it feel like a culmination of your like, now I get to do a a big sort of explaining project, and uh, you know in a and I get all the freedom, I have all the creative freedom to do Yeah,
1: it. well Planswell is definitely uh, a place where overall it feels like a culmination of like, a life's work to date for sure. We am jumping ahead, Yeah. Uh, so yeah. You, you, let's just say how
0: did you get to Planswell? We're, we're nearly so, there, yeah, you're so, so up, you're at where still. Yeah,
1: it's, it's the holiday, like the Christmas break of 2015. No, let's just back up a tiny bit. Let's say during, during the year, I think 2015, was when a couple interesting things happened. Um, so we had um, you know, maybe a dozen employees uh, at, at, at Wickware at the agency. And um, so a couple things that stick out in my mind. One is that Vanguard, the ETF company, uh, very, very low cost ETFs, um, was coming to Canada and um, actually, we started doing work for them around 2011. So it had been some time, but ETFs and this whole conversation around investment fees had been building momentum for uh, for a while, for a couple of years. And I started to really realize that this is not just an option that's out there. This is quite possibly going to be the next major like paradigm shift in investing towards low And you're, low you're cost. realizing
0: this uh, by the companies coming to you to... To market, we're helping to their launch, ETFs. launch them and we're and so, helping to introduce them. Well, you to, might have been yeah. doing some reading on your own, of course, yeah. but but it's it's I like that your perspective is who's trying to how many people are trying to sell products and oh, look, they're all ETF companies now, yeah. or or the big one is coming to Canada, so you're helping yeah. them getting to Canada, like making yeah, making materials for them,
1: yes. And, and Vanguard impressed me immensely like i went to go see their campus they have a fifteen thousand person campus Mm. in the u.s and just their whole culture and philosophy many people may not know they operate as pretty essentially like a non-profit really The, the unit holders of vanguard's etfs in the u.s actually own the business oh so part of the reason they're able to be so low cost is they they don't only just strip out these big huge commissions to financial planners they even strip out a lot of their own potential waste and profit margin that traditional models of investing would have like their goal is to Lower their prices they measure success by if they're still able to operate their business at even lower cost than they were last year
0: That really sounds uh, un-american. <laughs>
1: it's very un-american. Yeah, I mean That's... they're they're Well, yeah well, they're, This
0: is this sounds rare in, in in the ETF business. I mean, I know it's all it's supposed to be low Low cost, but yeah. I didn't. I don't, maybe this is the first that I've heard
1: of it, but it's uh, it's very it a very underappreciated point, yeah. and and, um, and they and they toiled like I'm, I'm going to get these numbers completely wrong, but let, let's just say to just um, they're at uh, a few oh, darn I'm losing the numbers a couple trillion in assets. Let's just say it took it took their first you know twenty or thirty years for anyone to even notice who they are, mm. and then in the past ten years they become, I believe, the second largest asset manager on the planet because, you know, there were a few external factors that I think contributed to that. We had the financial crisis and we had a world where, you know, when I, when I first started in the mutual fund business, we would talk about 12 and 15% a year returns. Oh, now wow. we're talking about four and five and 6% returns. Mm-hmm. So if the fees are a couple percent, yeah. before, before it was just kind of a detail. A couple of percent. Yeah, who cares, we're really making didn't so matter, much money. Right? Now it's like, wait a minute, how much are these fees? And I'm losing inflation. a third of my money to fees, and then inflation, and um, what's the other factor that I often think about? Um, well, just just lower returns, focus on fees. You know the whole, you know the whole conversation in the world started to change, and I started to I became a big believer that Vanguard and things like Vanguard okay. were going to be the future. And I would also hearken back to this uh, experience I had in my very beginning days as like a child, you know, stockbroker in the '90s when this grizzled old always half-drunk stockbroker, he said to me, you know, all this money's going into mutual funds right now, son, but, you know, one day in your career, you're going to see another trend this big, you know, another trillion-dollar trend, and you you should spot what it is, and Mm. that's going to be your, your big opportunity. Really? Yeah, and I thought to myself you know
0: what a foreshadowing this uh, is it (laughs) (laughs) i'm there
1: this is it from over maybe a 20-year period people moved a trillion dollars in canada from their bank account Mm -hmm. or a gic into mutual funds and right now that trillion dollars is every day slowly moving to other vehicles mostly etfs that are much lower in cost i'm like this is going to be this is going to be the thing this is going to happen i knew that and then And then I had this one meeting with a client in 2015. It was an insurance company, and they wanted uh, us to assist with launching some uh, segregated funds, basically mutual funds, if any listeners aren't familiar, that have an insurance guarantee wrapped around that says that uh, if the market goes well, it'll just behave like a normal mutual fund. But if you were to pass away or if the market were to crash, this insurance will guarantee that at least some percentage of your money is safe. Okay. Sometimes 50 percent or 75 hmm. percent. Um, so I'm looking at the, this product and they're they're briefing us on it and talking about how we're going to market it. And I noticed like their most expensive fund had a fee over 4 percent. Oh, wow. It's hard to even earn 4 percent a year.
0: No, and I think, I mean, anybody listening today, I, I, I feel like everybody knows 4 percent is high. It's outrageous. For any fund.
1: Yeah. Right. 3 percent is really outrageous in the context of our economic times. So mm-hmm. I'm like, okay it's hard for me knowing that low-cost alternatives exist it's hard for me knowing how incredibly important it is to not give all your returns away to fees to sit here with a clear conscience and contemplate helping somebody market a product that has just really not reasonable at all fees
0: i can't explain this
1: i can't explain this thank you (laughs) both this cannot be explained
0: (laughs) and and we're at an impasse explaining is so important to you yeah and 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 yeah, I'm realizing it's, it's it's more than just explaining. It's explaining something that you believe is a good product, which which Correct. of course would bring you forward to to the next step. So so you had this epiphany, sort of. Yeah,
1: it's the Christmas break of 2015, mm-hmm. and I'm thinking I'm at a crossroads. Maybe like I was when I was sitting in client services between being. You yeah. know, another one of these turning points, and I'm like, just devouring all this online content about startups it's like these low-cost investments are great i feel like they could be put on the internet i feel like i could explain everything the customer really needs to know i don't really see a great need for there to be a financial advisor to explain this stuff one of the big reveals of the financial industry is that we make things sound way more complicated than they are it's pretty dang straightforward to pick three or five decent etfs very broadly available plain vanilla, nothing too, nothing exotic, and just start investing in, in it and get a better result than most or all other alternatives. It's well, pretty- And, and that's <laughs> the key,
0: right? It, is that if it was just, these are passive and, uh, and they not actively managed and low uh, management expense ratios and fees, uh, but they performed poor or poorly, then nobody would buy them. It, it turns out that the actively managed funds that have the high fees, don't necessarily do any better. And, and there was data being yeah. amassed about this yeah. over the years. Yeah. And finally, uh, enough to make people understand that it wasn't worth the
1: extra fees. Correct. One, one of the um, And you might think that that's playing around with statistics or you might think, well, maybe that's just a recent effect. Or you could try to talk yourself out of that. But one of the ways that um, I find helps people appreciate this a bit is that when, when, when a stock is bought or sold uh, on the stock market, there, there's a buyer and a seller. There, there are two parties that have decided to exchange a share at some price. And you know essentially, the person buying thinks that's the right thing to do, and the person selling thinks that's the right thing to do. Only one of them can be right. This <laughs> stock is going to rise or fall in value. So all these Bay Street firms, Wall Street firms, multi-billion dollar pensions, corporations, they employ the best Ivy League data scientists, mathematicians, they build algorithms they have legions of analysts all dedicated to being the right guy on they that can't transaction all be the right guy It's impo- you know it's, it becomes the stock market is, is not like Vegas it is a thing that goes up and has value over time but trying to pick who's going to win that is like Vegas. that's true. You know, In terms of over work. time, you're going to be right about half the time. That that's just it's just going to average out. You can't have all of this intellectual firepower all trying to outsmart each other and really believe that any one group will prevail over any period of time. O- over time, we kind of all end up with roughly the same, roughly the same returns, and that, that's kind of the idea behind passive investing. You could try to outsmart everyone and only pick the winning stocks but you'll be right wrong roughly half the time so you might as well just buy one of everything and just go along for the ride and that's very 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 cheap to do you don't need any scientists or algorithms you don't need you don't need much to do that it's really quite quite amazing so all that noise kind of just tends to cancel out and um, yeah unfortunately a lot of people still feel that a financial advisor's job or your job as an investor is to somehow outsmart the whole world and win, but it doesn't actually work that way.
0: It's a bad place to start, right? It's, it's just about getting, well, I mean, we should start with what are your goals for money? Uh, and we can have a whole other conversation about that. Uh, but so you, you have this epiphany, you, you make a decision at this point?
1: Well, at that point, the only decision I made was I'm going to, um, I started to work on an idea for a fintech company. Um, I uh, was going to call the idea Marshmallow Okay. based on this. Veronica um, Mars, or are you a fan? Uh, no, no, this comes from um, a 1970s experiment at Stanford Okay. where they um, put a kid in a room with a plate with a marshmallow on it mm, yes. and I would say to the kid, I'm gonna leave the room right now. When I come back in a few minutes, if this marshmallow is still here, you'll get a second marshmallow. Perfect. And it was a test about delayed gratification. Yes. And it was interesting to see how kids fared at resisting the first marshmallow in order. And so. how
0: did they typically?
1: Well, it's mixed, it's, it is, it's right? mixed, yeah. And. Um, but some of them eat the marshmallow. Some of them eat the marshmallow. And the research shows though that the kids Whatever you do in that experiment when you're like eight years old was quite predictive of how you were going to treat the rest of your life, as it really? turns out, somewhat. At eight years old? <laughs> <laughs> they found a correlation. They found the kids who were able to wait for the second marshmallow had better economic outcomes, more post-secondary education, healthier body weight, <laughs> all wow. kinds of outcomes in a, you know in adulthood that, that seemed to be correlated. I mean, we all know that being able to set a goal and work towards it with discipline is pretty pretty important to achieve things in life so this is a microcosm of that so my idea was um, an idea that other people have developed since then a little bit I thought um, I just kind of wanted to use some behavioral insights to help people make decision a little bit better decisions now so I don't know if it's been a while since I've thought about this I don't know if I'll explain it all that well but let's suppose you had the marshmallow app the theoretical marshmallow app and you are out making a purchasing decision you were thinking about buying a coffee at Starbucks, let's yes. say, it was going to cost $3. Um, you could look at that as $3. If you, if you buy a coffee with it, it is just $3 that vanished. Or you could look at what that $3 will become in 10 years, 20 years, 30 years. So it's kind of like, do you want the coffee now? Or, or do you want $1,000 later?
0: It's, I believe this is what Warren Buffett uh, does with everything. Right. Which is why he can't bear to part, uh, part with That's any of his money. money. <laughs> because he's like, oh, I can't buy that hamburger. That hamburger's worth $80,000. Right, right, <laughs> right. And sure, I mean, like, you know, in moderation, please, yeah. right? I mean, have the hamburger, though. You got a billions, but, you know, uh, that aside. So Marshmallow little insights. was going to tell you this, Yeah. and you would make the choice with, yeah. a, with a little bit of extra explaining
1: There was a matrix of about six of those types of little insights that would be able to nudge you in the moment. Mm -hmm. Go ahead and buy the coffee if you want. But if you don't, you could tell the app, invest that $3 for me instead. I like it. And then you could potentially, people don't want to um, talk about how much money they earn, how much money they have. These are taboo subjects. So, so 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 you wouldn't say, I just invested $3. That's kind of not a very braggable thing anyway. But you could say, I just a thousand dollars in my my marshmallow just went up by a thousand dollars you could talk about money in in its future terms of its future value so the marshmallow would be a future value (laughs) would be like a future the second marshmallow is what you get future you i just future uh, me
0: made a thousand future
1: me made a thousand bucks and you could talk about that because it's non-specific it doesn't reveal too much about your personal finances and i thought partly one of the things i wanted to achieve out of it was having creating some way or some context that people could actually talk about money brag about it on social media i mean you brag about what you did at the gym or what you cooked in the kitchen but you never brag about having made a good financial decision it's just not sexy it's just not talked about it's too revealing a lot of reasons it's like how can we find ways that people can do it
0: well people and people feel judged if they haven't done it people right that's what judged. it really comes down to we've made this stigma i mean the when the first question i asked when everyone did the plans well podcast was what if there was a situation where you had a project at school and you were 15 and you had to get your parents to do a financial plan with you right and the whole idea of talking about that is it makes everyone uncomfortable right and why like i, I know why i just wish it wasn't so because yeah. people wouldn't get into financial trouble as much as they 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 do because they could talk to like i did a whole video on, on payday loans and if you just talk to your landlord and say, "Hey, I'm not going to be able to get rent this time, you know can I have a couple of weeks?" Maybe the landlord will say yes, but because you don't feel like you can do that, you go get a payday loan and now you're in the cycle. Wow and yeah. you know that that kind of thing it, it, it's all it all just comes down to what you're talking about there's no dialogue so you're trying to do something, which is the only way you're going to get the foot in the door with Marshmallow. Yeah, and and so did it just stay in concept mode, or did you develop? Yeah, it a so I bit? thought
1: I've got this agency I'm running all day. I'm going to start a side project to explore right. this, and 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 I. Um, went to a couple of, uh, you know, I discovered over this holiday break, I'm like, okay, there's this whole methodology around how you can build a startup. There's this whole idea about how to bootstrap an idea and all this kind of stuff. And there's also this community, a tech community in in Toronto. So I signed up for uh, a couple of fintech meetups and and events. And and I, I learned that, okay, well, one thing I'm going to need is a technical person who could actually help me Stitch this together. I was kind of doing the legwork to learn about the regulatory issues that would be involved. I was working on this on the side, and then through my exploring the fintech community, early in, in twenty sixteen, I met our CEO uh, Eric Arnold, and we were um, you know very aligned on on uh, you know had similar missions in mind, had similar interests. He was working as a financial advisor, and we had you know very we were in a very similar place, and he. Uh, had a different idea, though, which involved financial planning. And Mm -hmm. it didn't take too long for me to think that, to realize that, you know, marshmallow is a neat idea and using little nudges and and, and behavioral type of cues to get people to do good things with their money is a great goal. Uh, It could be a feature, though, on an even bigger idea, which is create financial plans for people. And
0: and that wasn't already, that was kind of outside your wheelhouse, right? Financial planning wasn't necessarily part of what you would have been doing with uh, selling investments and, and even promoting investments. Did the plans come in there at all?
1: Yeah, no, good point. Not strictly speaking. I mean, I did work with one of my clients was a financial, I really actually, I don't know if I should you know, give them some uh, promotion here, but TE Wealth is this great financial planning type uh, firm in Toronto. So I had, a, had exposure to people who did, mm-hmm. did planning, but most of our work involved um, uh, investments and insurance. Um, here, it plans while well, we talk about uh, borrowing as well. And that's an area where I hadn't had a whole lot of exposure, uh, mortgages and, and borrowing. But it's all connected. It's all part of, of helping people
0: understand. Yes. And as you guys like <clears throat> to talk about, you can't really understand one thing without understanding the other. You can't say, I Sorry. have all of this money to invest, but you don't have any insurance. Right. And then so you lose your job. Or you get critically ill, say yeah. You don't have the insurance, and then your investment money kind of disappears, doesn't it? Correct. It's it, yeah. And and a lot of people don't realize this, and I didn't necessarily realize how interconnected it all was, too, right? And and the banks don't help because they'll say, "Oh, great, you have lots of debt. Uh, t- hey, let's please open an RSP account with us, right?" Instead of paying it off, and that's counter to, to the logic uh, that that we all seem to know. Yeah. But we trust. Um, and, you know, I, I, I wasn't fully aware of this, but the, a lot of people in the financial industry don't have a fiduciary responsibility. No. They, do, they don't have to do what is in your best interest, just what is suitable. Correct. And I don't know, I, I, this has only become very clear to me recently, and I don't like it.
1: It's not good, no. I don't like it at all. Yeah. People will tell you to do absolutely the wrong thing. All day long the way things are currently constituted and we can go back to my story for a moment I'm trying to sell enough mutual funds every month that my 5% Commission becomes a living wage yeah and the guy across the street is trying to sell enough insurance policies that month so his commissions add up to a living wage and the gal the bank is trying to sell enough mortgages every month so that her bonuses add up to a living like everyone's incented Um, The way financial services are generally distributed are that commission salespeople who work for various little silos or represent various little products are out there trying to say, give me all your money. No, give me all your money. The linchpin, the the thing that makes this all work, and and it was a huge light bulb for me as well, is the plan is first. What is objectively the right thing to do? How much money do I need to save? How much insurance do I need to make sure that if something goes off the rails, I have a safety net, and um, and uh, how do I pay as little as possible for my debt? And these three things have to all talk to each other and and, then, and come to a, a balance, come to an optimal <laughs> compromise between these three things, and then so it's not about trying to um, sell products; it's about trying to make a plan, and then yeah. you can just implement the plan, and then that shouldn't be driven by sales commissions, that should be driven by what's the mathematically correct thing to do.
0: So you guys, you and Eric Arnold, and then did you find other people before you started developing?
1: Yeah, we. so Eric had a couple of guys that he had already been talking to about about the idea. So Scott Wettin, one of our co-founders, he's the COO here, was part of that group. Um, There are a couple of other guys who who work here today who were part of these early meetings. What we started to do is, uh, every Friday, or part of the day, uh, half Friday afternoons, Wednesday afternoons, we take half a day at least a week and we get together in my agency and uh, um, just plan this out and, and debate everything from financial planning, methodology, you know, and, and how plans should work. And to this how is all side project for This is all a side project for is, everybody this everyone. You're all doing
0: your day jobs. And, yeah. How would yeah. the
1: math work? How would the technology work? How would the regulatory framework work? How, how would we let people know we exist? How would we tell people about us? You know, how would we take... That's your job. Uh, that's my job. <laughs> how would we take somebody from, yeah, never having heard of us to learning about these ideas and communicating this stuff and creating a plan and having a way to implement it? Um, and there's, you know, every type of resistance imaginable because it goes very much against the grain of the, the way the, the entire industry is structured yeah. to support commissioned salespeople, not to support what we're doing. That's so right. we've, we've had to find ways to hack things to, um, to allow us to put uh, the consumer first. So we, had, we spent months on, on that before we had any investment capital to actually start making a company. It was just ideas um, for a year pretty well. So this is machine
0: learning, this is artificial intelligence, right?
1: Uh, Yes and no. It's actually like a rules-based system. It's not AI, strictly speaking. There's a component to the software, and this was one of the most um, difficult things to achieve. Uh, It's called an expert system. And this was when expert systems were the state of the art, it was like the AI of its day, maybe sure. of like the 90s. But
0: now there's different terms for all of these things.
1: The, the, the art is advancing. Yeah, we it's... kind of have a roadmap where we see how more and more components of what we do can be AI-based. AI, AI based. But see. for now, it, it made sense to, so I'll so explain the expert system. You can get only so far with a rules-based system to do, to do a financial plan. Where it gets tricky is um, most people's plans will not just resolve perfectly At the first pass something you might have to give like you might have to consider saving a little more you might have to consider retiring a bit later you might have to consider working part time in retirement you might have to think of using some home equity or maybe reducing your lifestyle a bit there's a lot of little little tweaks and compromises many factors you can take to adjust a plan so that it looks like something you're you're you're, you feel good about well that often gets solved traditionally by a financial planner who's a human being who can be like Bo. I know you have this freelance gig you do on the side and you love it. So let's just assume you're going to keep doing that after 65. Sound Type good? Type it into the Great. financial planning Your software. Your plan works now. Yeah. Uh, but uh, you over there, you know, you just can't wait to stop working. And so you might think about trying to find an extra $100 a month now. I, I don't know. Whatever it is, you're going to find different ways to help people resolve their plans.
0: So how do you build a, a, a a system that can accommodate all of this? That's
1: the expert system. That's the that's the piece of what we have built that is um, mm. like has a pat. Well, the whole thing there are multiple patents that we've applied for, but that's the thing that almost was like the toughest nut to crack. How do you have a system that can suggest some of these compromises and make some inferences and and help everybody ideally get to a place where even if they're behind the eight ball <laughs> financially in life, we can get them to a place where there's a workable plan. Yeah. So so yeah. Because they shouldn't be
0: excluded uh, uh, no from the service of financial planning. It shouldn't just be for the wealthy or people with money. It it should you should be able to help
1: anybody. So I'm glad you said that. You know, financial planning, this still sound like a pat little thing to say, but it's true. It's it's most often offered to the people who don't actually need it. <laughs> when you can afford to pay the fees for a planner it probably means you've got more than enough
0: money. You're good. You're if, good. if you pay a little extra 1% <laughs> or 2%, it's probably not going to make a difference, but to
1: the they people really with $10,000, it does make a big it's a difference. It makes a huge difference. About 1% of Canadians have a million dollars. So, okay. you know, the millionaire class is truly yes. about a 1% slice of Canada. And most of the financial industry is fixated on fighting over that 1% and virtually ignoring the other 99%. Mostly
0: because the model is set up that that's how they're going to be able to uh, pay their bills and feed their families is those millionaires because they're not going to get paid money doing it otherwise. Correct. But you guys needed to change that. Yeah. And it sounds like this uh, expert system is like one of the first things like this, especially for financial planning.
1: I mean, as far as we can tell, it's the first. It is and, the first. And, and only. Yeah. And
0: so resistance, you must have run up against, I mean, other than the, the systemic uh, stuff, uh, people saying you're going to use a, you're going to replace me with a computer? Yeah. The, the financial planners would say.
1: Yeah. Yeah. The financial planners, you know, yeah. I don't know. They, 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 I find it's interesting. A lot, a lot of the sort of veterans of the industry who see what we're doing have a, uh, a mixed reaction. E- early on when it was just an idea, and even before Eric even met me, he actually might have started this idea even sooner, but he was completely shut down by people who said, what you're describing is what banks do. Mm. You can't build a bank. Are you, are you crazy? <laughs> yeah. And he was like, I don't know, maybe I'm crazy. And sounds he just, like a challenge. He just kind of shelved it for you know, a couple mm. of years. That's actually part of the early story. And then uh, when, when we met up, it kind of was we reignited the idea because it started to appear that, no, 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 people are actually starting. You could start investing online through robo-advisors. There was a, the, the beginnings of change were starting to happen. And then we realized, um, it won't be easy, but you can do this. It can be done. And some of it is very leading edge, uh, absolutely.
0: What kept you guys going, though? Like, what? <laughs> I'm sure there was opportunities to just shut it all down and say, oh, we're, this is just a frivolous, or just a pipe dream, which our, yeah. people have done probably in the last 10 years. Well, oh, it's not feasible. Yeah. Can't do it.
1: Yeah. Um, one of the things that kept us going was running... Um, experiments um, some a- advertising and asking people like do you hmm. want a financial plan in so many words okay and finding out uh, yes in droves they actually did everybody wants it everyone wants it they can't get it because as you said if you've got ten thousand dollars and if you're going to need some insurance that's going to cost 29 bucks a month there's no financial advisor it's worth their it while but those people need and want those things so we, we want you know my advice to people in general who are contemplating a new business is um, I say don't fall in love with your solution, fall in love with the problem first. Make sure it really is a problem that people want to satisfy Yes. Uh, we could have spent, you know, millions building the most incredible financial planning software, only to find out that no one cared. That that's a mistake. That unfortunately, there are too many entrepreneurial journeys that end with that harsh realization. Yeah, it's true. We first were like, no, this is definitely something people want. We've proven it. We've spoken to these people. We've we've done it at small scale, doing problem interviews, just talking to people about their experiences with financial services and what they wish could be different or better. And they were telling us things that very much aligned with what we thought the answer should be so we're like uh, there's no doubt if we are able to fulfill the need if we're able to execute this and make this possible for people they they will want it so that's what has made it unthinkable to stop we have to figure out a way to do it some someone has to and (laughs) we've come this far so
0: So when did you make the decision that well all of you i guess maybe was a simultaneous we're all gonna Leave our current jobs, or, yeah. and some people did. not I know uh, Scott was uh, yeah. uh, probably one of the last ones, maybe one of the last ones. I'm not <laughs> oh, sure. Oh yeah, the last. Um, and now he lives in the closet. Correct. That's completely. Uh, That's another different story. Podcast. Uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, <laughs> you come on over to Plansville, you can see what I'm talking about. And uh, yeah, you know he. Uh, but ev- eventually, everyone decided to make this their full-time thing. And <clears throat> and how long did that take? Yeah. You said that you got the first funding in the summer. Yeah, we got then... our first
1: funding. Actually, we spent our first investor dollar in May of 2016. And by September, or even actually by August, just a couple months into it, I knew that I had set myself on a crash course with destiny. Like, I can't have a foot in two different worlds. And... Um, To be totally honest with you, it's such a big life change, and for a minute there, I thought it would be possible to still do what I did with my agency and also be a big part of Planswell. It didn't take long to realize that was a completely (laughs) unrealistic idea. Was it, mean, was it was it value,
0: a values thing or a time thing mostly?
1: Both. Yeah. Both. It's like okay. Well, you'd have to
0: turn away some clients that didn't align. You, 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 you have to turn for.
1: away clients. You, you you just cannot possibly be uh, trying to disrupt an industry that you're also helping to prop up at the same time. Like it's one or the other. like it's a, fully, it's a shit or get off yeah, the pot that's scenario. That's true. They
0: were in conflict, weren't so they?
1: So there was a, an ethical or like a values based conflict, and there was just the harsh realities of time and bandwidth. And there was just the overwhelming passion I had for this idea that I wanted it to be all consuming. This is not, for nobody here, is this a halfway proposition? Mm -hmm. Like, we are all in. Everybody. And wanted to be. And um, it was a very, um, like, almost, uh, I was almost numb in a way or shocking to tell my staff, to tell our clients that uh, we're going to be winding up the agency. It actually ended up continuing one of our, very amazing key people in the agency, Stevie Crozier, um, kind of renamed the agency Listen Communications and okay. conti- continued on and continues to work with some of our um, former clients and has added some awesome new ones. And uh, so there was an okay ending for everybody, but it was still pretty, pretty felt, not catastrophic, but it, just, it was pretty jarring to spend 10 years well, it was your name? with my name on the door of this company. Uh, well 15 years and 10 with a staff and yeah. all this infrastructure and then and then shift gears and, and pivot to something completely different but uh, it had to be that way. Uh, had, there was no other way to do it and um, I think it's been it's worked out. <laughs>
0: so you basically are responsible for building. As we talked about at the beginning, which it seems like it was days ago, <laughs> at the beginning of, yeah. of this podcast. Are we running long? I, here? No, no, not running Edit. long. I did
1: ruthlessly, but I really like <laughs>
0: no because we went, we've gone through your whole life as I wanted to, uh, but uh, it uh, it just seems like there were so many things that happened. Yeah. That from when we talked about marketability and your job to make this and bring it to market. Yeah. And so now it is to market is it not or yes. like is it almost that like you're almost at the point of like really publicly allowing everybody in are you not
1: yeah we started in july of this year 2017 uh, we were at a point where the technology and the infrastructure and all the parts were in place enough to start uh, we've been kind of in uh, bringing clients on here and there mm-hmm. uh, throughout 2017 in July, we, we were in a position to really like every single day. There are people um, coming to <clears throat> to plans. Well, we've made um, 10,000 plans for Canadians at this point, That's awesome. <laughs> um, give or take, but a little little more than that, I think. And um, yeah, and we've just been getting better and better at executing what we do. I mean, the plans we make are fabulous. We we but we need to be in a place where, let's say. Many, many, many more thousands of Canadians come to come calling on us uh, in the near term. We need to make sure we can give everyone a great experience, we can serve everybody and do a great job. So we've just been building the conditions to be able to do that. And um, so right now, we're, uh, where are we? In late November, we're weeks away from taking down our wait list. The reason we've had a wait list is just so that uh, we can't end up with an unmanageable amount of demand.
0: Yep. You don't want someone to fill out a plan yeah. and then have nowhere to go with it because everyone's busy with That's other right. plans. Because yeah. and, and we, we, we did a whole podcast with the Plansville crew, so you can yeah. you can find out more about the details Perfect. there, but but we can uh, but briefly it's, it's people fill out the plan online yeah. and then uh, they talk to you guys correct about it. Yeah. Because as you uh, said before, you're never gonna have a, a complete plan built by the system, it's always going to need a little bit of tweaking. And not only that, this is just the first iteration of the plan. You want them to come back and revisit it every six months. That's right. Yeah, absolutely. As well as uh, obviously, you know, work on the implementation, if not, you know, with you or if they have other ideas with others, but mostly you guys are ready to help them make the right decisions based on what the plan says.
1: Correct. Yeah. We, and and it takes about three minutes to get a plan that, is almost all the way there, almost all perfect, except for, like you said, you probably have some personal details that, that require some some customization. It
0: almost seems impossible to get a perfect plan. Yeah. I and mean, I don't know if you would want uh, to, to believe that the machine can make a the perfect plan for you <laughs> without having a little bit of discussion Correct. about it, right? And yep. I, I think that's the idea.
1: That's the idea. But it yep. does all
0: of the, the groundwork. That would take a financial planner, how, how much? Have you equated the <clears throat> amount of hours of time that the machine does in three minutes?
1: Yeah, I mean, Eric really got to study some high level financial planners when he was an advisor and learned a lot from that experience. And, you know, it, it's like 40 hours of work for a human generally to go through a series of meetings and information gathering and questionnaires and using software to create plans. So that we've got that 40 hours down to, it's like three minutes to get. To, to be able to see your plan. Then you can chat with us and, 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 and um, customize it or, or, or tweak it up a, a little bit. And we want to speak to everybody because that's part of how we'll make this better and better and better is um, learning from um, the client feedback. And um, and then you can implement the plan with us if you wish. And the main takeaway, I think, should be that that plan is going to be the only plan that may be anywhere in the world that is based on mathematically making the most of your money optimizing it, it has nothing to do with an agenda to, sell, to sell a certain funds. thing it's That's not right. going to say
0: buy this many because plans gets a commission it'll say you know you have this money to invest and yeah. then Planswell can help you invest it but just make sure you invest it
1: somewhere you just invest it somewhere and
0: pay off your debt and and yeah. get some insurance and this is, it's going to have all this and and you're not forced to implement it no you have the information at your disposal and then you can decide what to do follow the plan just the, the just follow the plan just follow the plan because the plan <laughs> is like you said it's it's mathematical it's yep. not some person trying to convince you to do one thing or another
1: that's right no nobody it plans well is compensated in any way based on what you do or don't buy or, or, or how, how what you buy or how much you buy. It's not, it's there's there's not a commissioned incentive for anybody to try to um, force you into any, any decision. And another thing I'll just say on this quick that's different is I, I feel like even when I hear you read this back to me, I think, yeah, but I don't have a lot of money or or uh, mm. I don't want a plan to tell me that uh, I have to come up with a whole bunch of money that I don't that, have. That
0: I'll never pay my credit cards. That off. won't
1: happen. We, we look at the budget. As it is, we look at the money that you currently spend on your lifestyle, your hobbies, your interests, your fun, we don't touch that money. That's that's yours. Sometimes we use the expression we're a crystal ball company. We're not here to tell you you have to stop drinking so many lattes, but we can tell you if you do drink assuming you do drink lattes, this is how things are gonna work out for you. Mm-hmm. And if you decide, oh man, maybe I should cut back on the lattes, we can show you what a difference that would make. That's right. But we're not here to tell you that you're overspending or you need to stop doing something you enjoy doing it's just telling you what's the best you can do with what you've got and if you want to make changes and, and then see how that changes your plan feel free you can make you can remake your plan every day if you want <laughs> if you want <laughs> if,
0: you, if, you, if you want and so I think I think this is a we've come full circle I feel <laughs> from you know uh, I, I was I was really. Uh, wanted to hear your story because uh, I really want to know how people end up where they are and I think what it does is it it might enable people who are in a situation where they're just I'm sitting here selling stuff I don't want to sell or I'm not getting to explain or create if we replace the word explain with create or any whatever it is you want to do you're not doing it yeah we'll figure out a way to do it yeah and then everything just kind of you know it goes from there, everything, uh, you know, it's, uh, you know, make the leap, because otherwise we're never going to make things better, and you guys just sat around talking about stuff, and now it's a reality, yeah, and it's kind of crazy when you think about it,
1: it's an incredible feeling that I would wish everybody to have, yeah, if if you've got some vision of something that you think should exist, and, and it aligns with what you're good at doing, and you like doing, you have to take the risk and do it,
0: Perfect. I, I, I can't say anything else. Uh, thanks, Mike. I really appreciate it. And, uh, you know, planswell.com, right? That's correct. Awesome. Yeah. And you can, you can go and you get a free copy of, uh, of uh, Mike's book, the book that you wrote <coughs> for Planswell. Uh, I still that,
1: get that? Yeah, the the feel better about your money book. <laughs>
0: Great, illustrated by uh, um, someone from the UK. Uh,
1: Tamara, actually, who's from Serbia, an Serbia. incredible, incredible okay. overseas artist. Um, yeah, who does amazing work. All of the illustrations and art that you see on our website or in our book, it's it's her work.
0: And it's just it, the illustrations just make everything you know fun and accessible, and I really like that. So, planswell.com, Mike Wickware, thanks for telling your story. Thank you, Bob, for being on the show. My pleasure. And that's episode 14 of the Personal Finance Show. If you'd like to find out more about Planswell, just head to planswell.com. If you decide to build a free financial plan, please let the Plan Pro know that you heard about Planswell through the Personal Finance Show. Or go to my link, teamplanswell.com slash That's teamplanswell.com B-E-A-U. Next week on the show, I have Randy Cass founder and CEO of Nest Wealth. If you enjoy listening to The Personal Finance Show, please show your support by subscribing and leaving a review on iTunes or on your favorite podcast app. No time for a review? Just leave me a star rating. It takes two seconds on iTunes. InvestWisely.ca is where you can find all of the show notes and links and, of course, all of my blog posts. And I'd love to hear from you, so please feel free to send me an email at bow at investwisely.ca.